Welcome to the Pearl of Great Price podcast. Thanks for joining us today. It's the 18th of October. Now, on this day in Christian history, we go back to the year 1969 and we travel to Palermo in Sicily where the painting of St. Francis and St. Lawrence by Caravaggio was stolen from the oratory of St. Lawrence. The theft is now considered one of the most significant art crimes in history, with the FBI listing it amongst their top 10 art crimes and it is still officially unsolved. It is now believed that the robbery was carried out by amateurs, who had learnt about the painting's value on a television programme about artefacts in Italy that had aired a few weeks before. The painting had hung in Palermo undisturbed for about 350 years, and the canvas hung above the altar. The amateur criminals watching television were amazed at its value, and knowing that the altar was only guarded by an elderly janitor, they saw an opportunity to steal it. However, after the robbery, the Mafia learnt of the theft, and they intercepted the painting. It is believed that the two thieves entered the oratory just off the main Via Vittorio Emanuele in downtown Palermo, through a poorly locked side door and then cut the painting from its frame and took a carpet which authorities believe was used to roll it up. Nearly three metres high and two metres wide, it was painted in Sicily one year before Caravaggio died. The painting depicts the nativity of Jesus with Saints Francis of Assisi and Lawrence, among other figures, surrounded by Mary and the newborn child. It's been never never been recovered. Interpol still reports the painting as missing on its stolen art database and today it's valued at more than 20 million American dollars. Varying accounts have it still in hiding somewhere or burnt or rotted or eaten by rats or indeed fed to pigs. In 2005, a mafioso, Francesco Marino Manoia, told investigators that he was involved in the theft. He claimed that the painting was stolen on commission and that the private buyer wept and called off the sale when he saw how damaged it was from the robbery. Manoia has not given clues to its location and his testimony is considered unreliable. A Carabinieri art protection unit in Rome believed he was recalling a different painting. However, it is very likely that it was in the hands of the Cosa Nostra, when it was moved from boss to boss with one informant recalling seeing it being used as a floor mat by boss Salvatore Rina. In 2009, another informant told authorities that when he was in prison with a former mafia mobster, Filippo Graviano, who had told him in jail that the painting was destroyed in 1980s after it was given to the Pallara family in Palermo who had hid it in a barn. Inside the barn it was slowly destroyed by rats and pigs and was finally burnt. Pietro Grasso, the head of the anti-mafia crime unit, in a press conference when pressed about the whereabouts of Palermo's Caravaggio, admitted, We need more time because the situation is rather complicated. 
but we believe the painting ended up in the hands of ignorant people who hid it in a pigsty where the pigs ate it. Other theories are that it was sold to a collector in Eastern Europe or South Africa. Michelangelo Marisi de Caravaggio became famous for the intense and unsettling realism of his large-scale religious works. He accentuated the poverty and the humanity of Christ and his followers, the apostles, saints and martyrs, by emphasising their ragged clothing in their dirty feet. And he also developed a highly original form of chiaroscuro, using extreme contrasts of light and dark to emphasise details of gesture or facial expression, an outflung arm, a look of despair or longing. His influence on the course of Western art has been immense and has not been limited to the field of painting alone. See the podcast about Rembrandt. His personal life was very turbulent and ultimately tragic. He committed murder and violent assault while at the peak of his success in Rome and consequently spent much of his later life as a fugitive from justice. In 1609 he was on the run from the authorities in Rome. He had been to Naples and in Malta, but in late 1608 had washed up in Sicily, and according to one account, he spent a year in Sicily sleeping fitfully with a dagger by his side. This is when he painted the Nativity. His violent exploits and volatile character have been linked by scholars to the tragedies of his childhood and also to his presumed but unproven homosexual tendencies, which be inferred both from his paintings and from certain historical documents. He seemed to have been driven by the logic of vendetta in violent times. However, it's more accurate to describe him as bisexual, as he had sexual relationships with men as well as women. And it could be argued that his amorous or sexual preferences were defined by his conspicuous reluctance to settle with any one partner. There was some evidence that in Rome he supplemented his artistic income by working as a pimp, using prostitutes as models. His unstable early life was divided between his native town of Caravaggio and the popular city of Milan where his father had a workshop. However, Milan was struck by an outbreak of bubonic plague and the family moved back to Caravaggio to escape the plague, when, which had reached epidemic proportions, ultimately accounting for the lives of one-fifth of the local population. Tragically, by the age of six, Caravaggio had lost almost every male member of his family to the plague. His unruly and fiery temperament and his deep sense of abandonment may well have their origins in this tra- these traumatic events in his early childhood. And in what became a misspent youth, he mastered the art of swordsmanship. He would later prove himself an expert duelist, and he got into trouble with the law. Milan was dominated by its archbishop, Charles Borromeo, 
who would be eventually declared a saint. And his influence grew during and after the years of the Great Plague. At the time, the Catholic Church was also rocking because of the Reformation and the widespread attacks on papal authority. And Borromeo believed that the Catholic world had fallen into an abyss of sin, which it could redeem itself only by returning to the most basic teachings of Jesus Christ. Borromeo played placed strong emphasis on the poverty of Jesus, and he himself reached out often to the poor, who he would describe as carrying the image of Christ. And his taste in religious art were correspondingly more visceral and vivid than was popular at the time, and this had a profound influence on Caravaggio. The influence of Borromeo may be detected in Caravaggio's emphasis on poverty and humility as essential Christian virtues, often depicted in his paintings. Caravaggio travelled to Rome as a young artist at the time of Pope Clement VIII. It was the, the Counter-Reformation, and the Pope was spearheading a revived and flourishing Catholic faith. New churches were being built, old churches remodelled, with altarpieces and sculptures commissioned in large numbers. In many ways it was an artist's paradise, with estimates that out of the population of Rome of 100,000, there were about 2,000 working artists. That's one in 50 people working there. In an intense atmosphere of competition and rivalry. Caravaggio's many fights and disagreements with others was not exceptional for the time. And his most important early patron, Cardinal del Monte, encouraged his development as a painter and secured him numerous commissions. Del Monte was ambassador for the powerful Florentine family of the de Medici, who were also the preeminent banking family in the world and had seemingly unlimited finances. See the podcast of January the 16th. And they became great patrons of the arts. In this climate, fine art had become a status symbol. And back in Florence, the charismatic Dominican Savarolo was encouraging art to be burnt in his bonfires of the vanities. Podcast of February the 7th. In this climate, Caravaggio painted devotional works for other Roman noblemen in Del Monte's circle, including the penitent Magdalene and the rest on the flight to Egypt. Another cardinal, Paravicino, in the letter of 1603, said that Caravaggio seemed to be working in that middle area between the sacred and the profane. He would often place sacred figures in a modern setting and in a modern dress, using a live model posed before him. And he also began to develop his technique of chiaro oscuro, darkening the shadows to produce, to produce stark contrasts of light and dark, never showing any of his figures in open daylight, but placing them in the darkness of a closed room and placing a lamp high so that the light would fall straight down, revealing the principal part of the body and leaving the rest in shadow. Caravaggio also began to receive his first public commissions for church walls 
with the calling of St. Matthew. Matthew, the tax gatherer, in a dingy modern tax collector's office somewhere in a basement of Rome. Christ and Peter, wearing timeless robes that symbolised eternal salvation, encountered him and a group of taxpayers in gaudy modern dress. Christ beckons Matthew, as if to draw him away from the temptations of money towards redemption. And a great beam of light bisects the composition diagonally. Christ's divine light will lead the Matthew upwards, making his soul light and enabling to rise out of base darkness. The success of this painting led him to receive more commissions, and this time they were the conversion of St. Paul and the crucifixion of St. Peter for Santa Maria del Popolo. Paul on his back in an ecstasy of revelation, in a pool of light just after having been struck down from his horse by a divine thunderbolt on the road to Emmaus. His patient heavy horse and loyal retainer stand beside him, half shrouded in shadow, mimed by his gesture and position. Peter, being crucified upside down by a group of burly poor assassins, grimly focused on the mechanics of murder. These paintings were aimed squarely at poor pilgrims who would often visit Santa Maria del Popolo in the north of the city on their way into Rome. It seems that Caravaggio intended, intended to foster in them a sense of identification with the equally poor first followers of Christ. However, the shifting ecclesial currents were starting to flow against him and he had to find a new patron in Cardinal Mattei, and he painted the supper at Emmaus and the betrayal of Christ. In the second picture, he once more included his own self-portrait as a witness to the Judas kiss, holding up a lantern as if almost to advertise his by now trademark use of intense light-dark contrasts. A rival painter, painter Caravaggio, depicted in the guise of a devil plotting to sodomise a furtive figure of Cupid. And this visual accusation of sodomy provoked Caravaggio and his friends, including Gentileschi, to compose a set of satiric verses mocking him, which got them both thrown into prison on charges of criminal libel, which potentially carried a life sentence rowing in the papal galleys. However, he was subsequently released and all charges against him were dropped after a cardinal intervened. He was soon arrested again for assaulting a waiter who had served him with a plate of artichokes dressed in butter rather than oil. And then again he was arrested for throwing stones in the street in the company of, among others, a perfume maker and some prostitutes. And again for telling a policeman who was attempting to release him quietly even though he was carrying a sword and dagger, that you can stick it up your arse. In between committing those crimes and misdemeanours, somehow he painted the austere and monumental altarpiece of the entombment of Christ for the Oratorian Church of Santa Maria in Vallicella in Rome. However, by this stage it seemed that self-destruction was inevitable. He was arrested once more, 
this time for defacing the house front of a woman named Laura del Vecchia. A crime known as detupatio, often committed as revenge for an insult or affront. And just ten days later he was arrested yet again for inflicting grievously bodily harm. Caravaggio skipped bail and fled to the coastal city of Genoa for the month of August, and on his return he discovered that the landlady from whom he was renting his house had seized his possessions and changed the locks. So again he committed the crime of detupatio against her, this time smearing excrement on the door of the house and singing obscene songs to the accompaniment of a guitar outside her window. Finally, his rivalry with another gangster, Tomassini, flared up into a formal duel, which took place on a tennis court of the French ambassador to Rome. The two had argued many times before, often ending in blows. This one would have fatal consequences. And many rumours spread about the cause of the duel, a quarrel over gambling debt, or jealousy over Felide Melandroni, a well-known Roman prostitute who had modelled for Caravaggio in several important paintings. Tommasoni was her pimp. Caravaggio pierced his opponent's femoral artery with his duelling sword, causing him to bleed to death in a very short time. The nature of the injury, close to Tommasoni's groin, may suggest that Caravaggio intended to wound his opponent sexually. Wounds were meaningful in the honour culture of the time, so for example a facial wound might be inflicted to avenge an insult to reputation or loss of face, while a genital wounding or attempted castration might mark a dispute over a woman. He fled Rome in its immediate aftermath. Duels themselves were against the law, and thus committing murder during a duel was a grievous offence. And he was convicted in absentia of murder and made subject to a bando capitale, a capital sentence, which meant that anyone in the Papal States had the right to kill him with impunity in exchange for a reward. If they were unable to produce his body, his severed head would suffice. He reached Naples, where he remained under the protection of the Colonna family and stayed in their palace. <clears throat> then famously he travelled to Malta, where he hoped to join the feared and respected Knights of the Order of St. John, or Hospitallers, Christian soldiers waging guerrilla warfare against the forces of Islam from their island fortress in the Mediterranean. To be accepted into this order would mean automatic pardon for the murder that he had committed in Rome and therefore redemption from his sins. In Malta he painted St. Jerome writing, and the head of the knights petitioned the Pope in Rome for permission to make Caravaggio a knight of obedience to the order of St. John, despite his having killed a man. Permission was granted, and Caravaggio began to work on the largest of all his paintings, the beheading of St. John, for the Cathedral of Valletta in Malta. The painting was to be accepted in lieu of his passaggio, the payment due for many nights on entering the order. It depicts St. John's gruesome beheading, 
taking place under the gaze of a Turkish Janissary. As if the saint were a modern knight of Malta suffering cruel martyrdom in some hostile corner of the Islamic world. The executioner had botched his first attempt at decapitation and is about to finish the job by slicing through the flesh of the saint's neck with a sharp knife. The oratory for which the painting was intended was where prospective knights received instruction in the rules and expectations of the order. And so Caravaggio's painting is to be understood as a cautionary image of the cruel fate that they might expect to meet were they to fall into captivity. Its message was brutally straightforward. Be ready to face a death like this or leave. The canvas bears his only signature, spelled out in the blood that gushes from St. John's neck. And the meaning is neither sinister nor morbid. F. Michelangelo. It announces, standing for Fratelli Michelangelo, as the painter would be entitled to style himself as a knight of Malta. And hence a free and pardoned man, the blood on his hands, washed clean by the blood of his new patron saint. However, after assaulting a more senior knight, he was expelled from the order. And now on the run again, he returned to Naples, where he was attacked by four men outside a Neapolitan tavern of ill repute, and so severely wounded in the face that he remained close to death for several months. The names of his attackers remain undocumented, but it seems that they were from Malta, and the nature of his injuries, a facial wound being a traditional sign of revenge, and leaving a lasting scar on both the victim's face and his honour. He painted a Salome with the head of St John the Baptist, which is now exhibited in the Prado in Madrid, showing his own head on the platter, and he sent it to the master of the Knights of Malta as a plea for forgiveness. Caravaggio created his last two paintings in 1610, while he was attempting to recover from the attack, the denial of Peter and the martyrdom of St. Ursula, and both are painted in such a shaky manner as to suggest that he was suffering from some sort of terrible tremor after the attack. At the time, he was continuing to negotiate for his pardon with Scipione Borghese, the nephew of the Pope, who had the power to grant or withhold pardons. Caravaggio hoped Borghese could mediate a pardon in exchange for works by the artist. News from Rome encouraged Caravaggio and in the summer he took a boat northwards to receive the pardon with his three last paintings all going to be gifts for Cardinal Scipione. What happened next is a subject of much confusion and conjecture and shrouded in mystery. His destination was the port of Palo, a staging post where he might hire a wagon to complete his journey by land. For reasons that remain unexplained, papers not in order, or perhaps a disagreement with the captain of the garrison there, he was arrested again and detained in Palo. He paid his way out of jail and he rode on to Porto Ecole, and with a change of horse he may have covered the distance in a day or a little longer but the effort and the heat of the summer led to him dying of a fever on his way from Naples to Rome. However, with a life filled with such controversy 
and for a person involved in so many feuds and vendettas, the many rumours that held that either the Tomassoni family or the knights had killed him in revenge. Traditionally, historians had long thought that he died of syphilis, and some have said he may have had malaria. However, Vatican documents released in 2002 support the theory that the wealthy Tomassoni family had hunted him down and killed him as a vendetta for Caravaggio's murder of the gangster in his botched attempt at castration after the duel. That's all from the Pearl of Great Price today. Thanks for listening. Join us tomorrow, if you can, as we look at the murder of the Polish priest Jerzy Popiorescu, whose support of solidarity led to his assassination. This month we've surpassed 10,000 downloads, so thank you to listeners from all over the world for your interest. Today a special thank you to our listeners in Moscow and Salt Lake City. Our archives can be found at www.pogp.net and if you have time, please subscribe, share the podcast with friends. Have a lovely day wherever you are and thanks for listening.